Today we're going to talk about how Craig David inspired the Princess of Pop. Hi, my name is James Rodriguez, the host of the Original Doll Iconography. On the Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it, and at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, join me on Instagram, the.original.doll. Big shout out to my Patreon supporters. You all rock. Truly appreciate all the support. If you want to join that community, go to theoriginaldoll.com. I also have merchandise and Britney brand merchandise available on the website. And as with every and all things with the original doll, any audio recording, ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it. We're going to get on to the show today in our continuing conversation with Josh Schwartz from KNS, who's worked with so many iconic artists, including the Princess of Pop, Britney Spears. And if you haven't checked out my other interviews with him, check them out. Scroll through the list and you'll find it. While you're there, make sure you follow us so you get notified when these episodes drop. We are going to get right to the show. Thank you so much. My name is James Rodriguez. This is the Original Doll Iconography. Thank you for joining me once again on The Original Doll. No problem. Josh on his work with 3LW slash The Cheetah Girls. I think it was The Cheetah Girls minus one that maybe wasn't getting along with the others. I don't know what went on. Three girls in a group that age. I mean, who knows what kind of drums you're going to get. They were really, really nice girls. I liked them a lot. I can't remember which one wasn't in The Cheetah Girls. I think it might have been Naturi. But I, I remember. Uh, yep. I remember doing that record in Newark, New Jersey, in a basement many, many years ago, like in the t- like twenty something years ago. It was, it was a cool record, though. Thrill of they were really good. They they were nice girls. Hopping back out here to give it a little bit of information on Three LW and the Cheetah Girls. Some of you might know, some of you might not. Basically, Three LW was created back in 1999. The original group of women: Adrian Bailon, Keely Williams, and Naturi Nowton. They came out of the gate with some success of their debut single, No More, Baby I'm a Do Right, was released the fall of 2000, then Play Is Gonna Play was released in 2001. Josh and Brian, KNS, worked on 3LW's debut album on a track called Getting Too Heavy, which happened to have been written by Keely Williams and her sister. Second track, Make You Miss Me, was co-written by one of our previous guests, Lindy Robbins. And you can go back and listen to my interview with Lindy Robbins about her work with Britney Spears and Demi Lovato, as well as Cinderella by the Cheetah Girls. What was interesting is a third song was also created during that time called Falling For You, which was once again written with Michelle Williams and Nathan Butler, who happened to have written 3LW's debut single and follow-up. Falling For You was then reworked and turned into a Cheetah Girls song. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Cheetah Girls in a second, but I wanted to talk about 3LW. They were at the turn of the century, the new group that was popping up that everyone loved. It was women of color, three little women. They were doing some great things. At the height of their success, it seemed as outsiders that it just fell apart. I'm going to insert an interview that Naturi did with TV1. I think it's important to hear what she has to say. 
it's hard to pinpoint where things went bad with 3OW, like where did we go astray? Um, but I do know that the adults, managers, production company, there were a lot of adults that were influencing us. They wanted to control uh, you know, what we were gonna become and what kind of music. And it was just so much about making us successful that they forgot to let us be successful. Like we had a platinum selling album. What is wrong? It became, Naturi's voice is too soulful. You're not crossover enough. Naturi, your look is not hot right now. Nobody's checking for a dark-skinned girl. Why would we put you in front? Everything that was working, it had reversed. I was a girl from Jersey. I'm a brown-skinned sister who was out here being true to who I was, and they wanted to change the image. So the second album was when everything changed. Second album with 3OW, I wasn't allowed to sing lead as much anymore. I was told that my sound was not commercial or sellable or crossover. And I think when people get successful, they literally lose their minds, some people. So unfortunately, the managers of that group became very strategic about what kind of group we were gonna be. Instead of letting the fans choose, like they liked 3OW the way we were. One of the lowest points of being in the group 3OW for me was the day when we officially broke up and I left the road. We had this huge fight, which I'm sure many of my fans that remember, because I was on 106 in Park talking about, people started talking about, oh, there was a two-piece chicken. She threw chicken in her face. It wasn't just about the chicken, but that did really happen. For the record, a lot of people asked me, did y'all really have a fight at KFC? Yes, we did. There was a driver sitting in our Suburban, the manager, who was also one of the girl's mother, sitting in the front. Keely and Adrian are sitting in the middle aisle, and I was in the back by myself. I said, I'm not the one who's trying to kick me out the group. Don't be mad that Wendy Williams or that the news is out, because it's true. And there were some names called, some profanities thrown. She turned around, Keely, and threw the plate of food, mashed potatoes, chicken, whatever else was in there, in my face. And I got out the car and I was just like, I'm going home. I was not given a gift to sing to deal with this, excuse my language, but real talk, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. If you all don't see me and if you all don't appreciate me, someone else will. They drove off with that driver and left me in the parking lot in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> In a previous episode of The Original Doll, I talked about colorism with singer Tori Alamaze, who was the original singer and original version that was released of Doncha, which was later covered by the Pussycat Dolls. Now, I wanted to bring up, back in 2002, Billboard magazine had released an article, and it said, More details have come forward in the 3LW lawsuit, including allegations of pimping one of its members. Naturi Naughton is suing the other two members of the R&B group, Keely Williams and Adrian Bailan. It goes on to say, Naughton claimed she was expected to do more than just sing and dance for the group, including being urged to get into a romantic relationship with a member of the rap group, St. Lunatics, so the group would ask 3LW to go on tour. Naughton says in her suit she went to a meeting with a member of the St. Lunatics. When she returned, she told the three Williams sisters and Bailan she did not get intimate with the group member. Michelle Williams berated her for not getting her Mac game up, quote-unquote, according to the suit. 
Nutton says she got the impression she needed to use sex or intimacy to get 3LW a place on the tour with St. Lunatics, which didn't happen. Nutton says Michelle Williams harassed her more because she failed to close the deal. Williams and Bailon says Nutton walked out on them. There's been no immediate response to the lawsuit. So this was 20 years ago. There's a lot of weird, crazy articles, and, and some refer to Michelle Williams as Keely Williams' uh, guardian. Others call her sister. Others call the mother. I'm just going with uh, some of the, the statements that I said because I actually reached out to Keely Williams asking her if she remembers recording these songs, the, the Cheetah Girl songs and the 3LW songs. So I reached out while she was doing a Insta Live, uh, and here's what she said. Yes, I do. He wrote those songs with my mother. I love you too, James. That was her response. She remembers Josh recording it with her mother. Now, something that I actually did not know is... So we all know some of the members of 3LW, two of them, uh, went on to be part of the foursome Cheetah Girls uh, with Sabrina, Sabrina Bryan and Raven Simone. What I did not know is Solange Knowles was originally cast as Aqua, and then her manager, Matthew Knowles, said she could not be a part of it just because of time commitments. She wanted to focus on her music. But I just thought it was interesting because we hear about these groups and how big they were at the time, and oftentimes we wonder, what happened to them? Now we're hopping to our conversation about Britney Spears' song, That's Where You Take Me, from the Britney album. And I got a couple messages over the past years about, James, did this song ever get any play on U.S. radio? I thought I heard it. Maybe not. Maybe I did. Well, I go through all sorts of archives and Patreon supporters. You all rock. There are so many times where I've bought old radio magazines, all sorts of information so that we can kind of put this out there to honor all these great artists. That's Where You Take Me had its U.S. radio debut November 2nd, 2001 in Los Angeles. Then it was followed in only two other cities, Trenton, New Jersey, and Greenville, North Carolina. So let me know, did you ever hear that song? Were you one of those, you know, special group of people to hear this on the radio? Let me know in the comments. And don't forget, join me on Instagram, the.original.doll, and my Patreon, theoriginaldoll.com. Now on to my conversation with Josh. I usually say no, to be honest, but you did it in a nice way. And I was like, you know what? I, don't, I just don't like to get involved. It's uh, I don't like to talk about someone. It's I have an opinion, but it's I just don't feel I yep. need to share it. It's uh, I feel bad. I, that's about all I can say is I feel bad. But I will yeah. say everyone around her, as far as I know, and for the last 20 something years, they're all really great people, right down to the management. I mean, these are people that I've known since I'm 20 and they're just great people. It's, yeah. it's about the songwriters and their own experiences of this. And we've had, sure. And we've had everyone from, I don't, I don't, I'm assuming, you know, so I always feel like some songwriters know other songwriters. Absolutely. But you know, I had Shelly Piken on a couple weeks back. I know her, never wrote with her, but I know her. She, yeah. And so it was just like talking to her about her Britney cut, but she did Christina, yeah. you know, what a girl wants. But then before that was Meredith Brooks bitch. So all of these songwriters, you all have great things. So, Today is just talking about all of your experiences with all these great songs. And sure. that's where you take me. A lot of fans were like, it was released as a single. It wasn't released as a single. It was released as a CD. It wasn't. There's this other version of it that's extended. What do you know about? And it's just the extended is there's an intro 
that they created with a little ad lib. And I don't know if that was phase you. And the ending is just instead of fading out, they kept the volume going, which gave it another like <sighs> 18 seconds or something. I know we did it in, we probably wrote it in LA because most of the writing was done there, but we mixed everything in New York. Um, I know it was supposed to be a play on two-step, not necessarily full out. That was a sound that was kind of happening in Europe at the time, like Craig David and some of those guys had some two-step. I mean, this is 20 a million years ago. You know, I keep saying the same thing, but it really was a while ago. And music evolves so often. That was, I think, the sound of the time. And I think she just really liked it. It was just a B-side from what I can remember. I don't remember it being a single. I was certainly not given, um, I wasn't paid as if it was. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I that's, mean, no, no, that's, that's something that's important. So many people are like, well, it wasn't a single because it didn't pay as a single does. And I'm like, fair. So I'm hopping back out again to uh, talk about this. Now, Josh and I continue to talk about it and we've emailed and everything back and forth. Now, the thing is, most songwriters and producers do know, in fact, when their songs get released as singles, promos, because if a song, let's say, is licensed, if they're going to make it a single, you're receiving additional income. You are receiving a separate, whether it's synchronization or if it's a specific one in this part of Europe or this part of Asia. The songwriter and producer would know that. Uh, they do, in fact, receive their statements, generically speaking. Here's a breakdown. This is what you made. These are your songs that you received it. Congratulations. Here's your money. So that's where you take me. Uh, never received any synchronization with the music video because a lot of people are like, oh, there was this video and it ends up being just promo stuff uh, that fans had put together. Um, so when I had looked up and I looked, uh, contacted, looking into publishing, everything, when a video is played on a channel, everyone knows that it is played. It is licensed. Uh, it is known that it's going to be receiving a spike in sales or promotion in specific territories. So there was no video, no single treatment for it because there was no actual paper trail of any of that sort of thing happening. And as I researched and dug deeper, I saw there were fan-made ones and other ones are like, oh, it was just the promo for this. It was just the promo for that. The other thing too is when promotional videos are made, sometimes images and footage can only be used in certain territories, not fully. So as I was doing most research, as much as people want to say, oh, this was real when we talked about it, it was never given a single treatment because that's something that would be known. Like my only wish this year, he found out it was going to be released. He knows how many times that it is synchronized. Uh, he can pull that information up. So that's where you take me never received any bump in synchronization or payouts or any sort of things from any place. And I reached out to several people that are like, oh, this was playing in the Philippines or this was playing there. But yet not one person can actually point me to any direction with, as we like to say, receipts. I reached out and different broadcasting companies and everything. There's no records that I've seen or found, which for a Britney Spears song, especially at the time, is a little off that no one has these supposed videos while it played and while it was tagged. So we can safely say that there was no official video, no promo video that was fan made, and that it was never given an official 
single treatment. The other thing, too, is a lot of times with this specific to anticipating, you know, Josh knew that anticipating was going to be released as a single specific to like France. During this whole time, they were given the heads up that this song was there, that song was there. But that's where you take me. It's this whole folklore. And I think so many people have started to believe it more and more that they believe it to be true. But from the paper trail, the receipts, the the lack of income coming from it being listed as a single, we can safely say that it was not, there was no official video that was done, no promo video, and the single never happened. So for those out there who are excited that they have a CD that was made, there's a lot of great fan-made ones, so you got one of those, but the great thing is the song is truly loved, so so many people love it. Um, now I'm going to go back to Josh, but I wanted to hop out for that. That's where you take me. That I remember the review in Stuff Magazine or something, like, was something so funny. I peed in my pants. I love when people make fun of me. It said something like, the glockenspiels, dear God, the glockenspiels. Like, it was something funny like that, and that was the whole review. So I love bad, <laughs> I'm the one, I love bad reviews. I don't care, because if the song's big, I don't care if people like it or not. It's big. That's all I, that's what I'm after. I'm not after making everybody happy. I remember the I Want to Be Bad review was, I want to be bad. And the review was two words. You are. I think that was Rolling Stone. I think literally. Yeah. And I was crying. Like that is the best. Cause it wasn't, we're not trying listen. I mean, it's not, it wasn't Tori Amos. We know that she doesn't need me. You know, Willa Ford did, but I, I listened to Tori Amos, but if I'm making pop records, they're specific for something, you know, they, they have a purpose to make people happy and to make people feel a certain way. So does Tori Amos, but she clearly is, doesn't need me in the room, you know. <laughs> I want to be bad. Oh, Willa yeah, yeah, Ford. Willa, sure, Mandy. She was dating Nick. Was, was that written specifically for her? Mm. Because that was a very, because sometimes people are like, oh, was it a Britney, you know, throwaway song? Like, was this like a, but it seemed like it was very much a, character building song like we got Willa Ford based on that so Brian and I had the hooker edit and we had lyrics and, a, and a, we had the song and then I think we got together with her we the first song we did with her was called somebody take the pain away which she didn't write but it was on her album and um she came down to my house in New Jersey and we got together and we're like here's something we're working on and we played to the hook uh, it was, I remember we had just gotten the Yamaha CX-7 and that's the keyboard sound in it, bad, bad, you know, that, key, that keyboard sound. And we loved the track. It was like, it was like this kind of like, you know, staccato thing. I'm trying to remember the track. And um, we had, I know we played with it a little bit. We let her rewrite the verses with us that we already had. She was like, oh, I wouldn't say that. So she was a part of that making it hers, but I want to be bad. And then the whole bad girl thing and her being edgy, that came later. I think they just kind of took the song and just ran with branding. And her career didn't go terribly far after that, from what I can remember. She was she had it tough because she was dating Nick and there was all these, before hate sites were a thing, there was all these hate sites. I felt bad because she was a really nice girl. And um, she got a lot of flack just for dating Nick because they were from the same town. I mean, they knew each other from the town. It wasn't like, she was going after Nick because he's Nick. I mean, they live yeah. in Ruskin, both of them, in Florida, from Tampa. All, you know, I thought, how many people live in Tampa? I have no idea. But I know that Nick lived in Tampa. <laughs> she lived in Tampa. Both, you know, she had a farm. So she was, you know, she was a farm girl from Tampa. And 
I, I know she got a lot of flack for dating him. And, and then I think she just ran with the whole, her name was like Amanda Williford, I think. And then she just said, I'm just going to use Williford or Willa Ford. And I was like, I don't know. That's up to you and the record label. I, I, I stay out of that. Um, You're like, that's marketing. Yeah. I just do my part. If I was marketing, I wouldn't, I look better if I had a mark, right? You'd think I would put some <laughs> investment into this. <laughs> Now, a few years ago, when many parts of these interviews had started airing, we learned exclusively from Josh that many of the songs were inspired by the script of Crossroads. So when you go back to the Britney album, many of those songs are from characters or scenes from the movie Crossroads. Here's some more about that. And I always went off for mood. So they gave us a copy of the script to Crossroads. That was the way we went about making that third album. They gave us a copy of the script and they're like, look, Britney's going to make a record that sort of is the movie soundtrack, but it's all going to be released at once. It's going to be, we're going to go number one everywhere. We're going to number one movie, number one this, number one that. And I said, okay, I see your goal. That's awesome. What do you want me to do? So they're like, can you fly out to LA? She's going to have downtime in the morning, a little bit of downtime in the afternoon. She'll, she'll go back and forth to the, uh, let me shut that off, to the uh, studio it's a place called Rusk on La Brea in LA. That was where we just, we rented out the studio for like, I feel like a month, you know, we just stayed out there and kept going back and forth. And we just got together there. We had the whole room and it was a reasonable, you know, everything happened in a reasonable amount of time. Like she would come in. It wasn't like these eight hour sessions. It would just be quick, you know, cause a lot of the concepts for the songs were in the script. <laughs> Hop on out. If you are liking these interviews, please rate them on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And check out those other episodes. We have over 200 episodes uh, over the past several years, breaking down so many different songs and learning about the creatives. And that's truly what this is about. Learning about all of these great collaborators who have collaborated with so many other artists. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, dot dot original dot doll, on Facebook, the original doll James Rodriguez, on X at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. We're going to get back to the show. What I think is great is in talking with Josh is he really let the artists be the artists. He listened to them. He kind of got feedback. Where did they want to go? What do they want to do? And in the coming episodes, you're going to hear a lot of these stories about each specific song, songs that we've really never talked about. We talk about When I Say So, we talk about Before the Goodbye, Anticipating, Bring Me Home, and so many more. But I, what I wanted to do is talk about, there was this discussion of this video mix of the song. Was this, in fact, made? Was That's Where You Take Me? Was there a version where she does these la-la-las at the beginning? And I played the snippets for Josh, sent him an email with some of them. And you'll hear his response in some of these. Our conversation was long, so I kind of tried to edit this down. But he basically said that that la la la, that sort of thing, that that was not authorized. That was not their production uh, or their doing, uh, which just leads me to believe once again that this was a another fan made uh, version of the song. As in times where if a producer or songwriter, if they're going to do a different version of it or extended version, or if they're going to edit, oftentimes in stories that we've heard about from the songwriters themselves on the original DAO, they get notified or they say, we need this, or we need to cut this, or we need to make a live version of this. We need a studio, a TV edit, that sort of thing. So once again, finding out more and cleaning up some misinformation out there. So what I realized is somebody took the bridge part and 
you know, filtered out some of the vocals and just took the la 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 and just cut and paste it right at the beginning. Because if you listen carefully, there's a little extra beat in there because it doesn't quite sync up. So that, in fact, is somebody took part of the bridge, the first la la la, put it at the beginning because it sounds a little out of place and it's not mixed fully. Then the second part is for to extend the time, they just cut and pasted kind of the outro, the chorus, things like that, and extended that, which I just did a little snippet of it just to see how it would sound on GarageBand, and that seems to be pretty much it. So at least we know there's no version to the la 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 at the beginning. Somebody created this, but I kept this part in the episode where I actually am playing Josh the songs um, and seeing what his take on is it so I can get his feedback. He would know with his song. See, that's a, oh, this was the that's where you take me. Oh, yeah. The beginning, this version two has, it's a half a minute longer and it has an ad lib at the beginning. And then that ending doesn't outro like minimize. So this first like 16 counts is different. Oh, wow. I didn't do that. <laughs> You're like, I didn't do the la la la. No, I didn't do that. I love being able to talk to the creatives themselves and talk about their process and also clear up things. If it's a fan-made song out there, that's great. If it sounds great, it's great. But to try to say that certain songs out there, we're just talking in general, where people try to make out, this is the original mix or this is the demo, and you find out that that's not the case, and now more and more we've seen people saying, oh, this is the original mix of the song, but then the producers have said, that's not even sounds that existed when I made that song. 20 years ago so it's interesting but i hope you're enjoying this and let me know when was the last time you listened to this song and have you listened to craig david check it out my name is james rodriguez i'll see you on the flip side